Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, God is for us. Acts chapter 28 is going to be uh, today and next weekend until we finish the book. I try to finish it this week, uh, but there's no way. It's a lot of rich truths in this chapter, 31 verses. Today, Lord willing, we'll get through 15 of the 31 verses. So, Last week, if you were with us, you know that we followed the Apostle Paul and many others as they made their way across the Mediterranean Sea on this large imperial grain ship. And so treacherous waters, storms, it blew them off course from the island of Crete out into the open waters, and, and it was a desperate, as you know from last week, desperate situation. Well, eventually, they shipwrecked off of a little island just south of Sicily. And so I want to try, I want you to ask you to try to picture this in your mind, okay? So probably a 50-yard long giant Roman imperial sailboat, and all of a sudden, it shipwrecks on a reef right outside the coast of this island just south of Sicily. The front of the boat is stuck inside the reef, and the back of the boat is being broken up by the strong winds and pounding waves. And so as the boat is literally breaking up behind them, Julius the centurion, the highest ranking official on board that day, he gave the order. He said, everybody, out of the boat and go to shore. Now, because you never questioned the authority of a Roman centurion, especially when he had the Machaira on his side, what did everybody do? They jumped into the water. Can you see it? 276 people littered uh, was called now St. Paul's Bay. And those who could swim were either freestyling it or doing the backstroke. Those who couldn't swim, well, they're looking around trying to find anything that can float as they get in to shore. Again, 276 people. Some sinners... Some saints, some sailors, some soldiers, they all wash up on shore. Again, picture it in your mind. They're all crawling up on the beach. They're drenched, they're drained, and they're delighted to be alive. Where were they? Well, if you look at your map, they're on the island of Malta, 60 miles south of Sicily. And so there, if you're looking at your screen, you see Malta, the island of Malta, a little to the north, you see Sicily, and then you see the boot, Italy, and then Paul's final destination, the city of Rome. Now, Malta has a very interesting history, which I got to dig into a little bit this week. It was ruled by the Phoenicians, the ancient Phoenicians, for over 500 years before it was conquered and occupied by the Roman Republic in 218 BC. At the time of Acts chapter 28, which is right around AD 60, uh, you need to know that this little island, it's 17 miles long, about nine miles wide, uh, was still being ruled by the Roman Empire. And they were shipwrecked, most likely, as I said earlier, in what's now called St. Paul's Bay. St. Paul's Bay, today a beautiful vacation spot for tourists, which of course looks a little bit different than it did 2,000 years ago. 
Now, two years ago, there's a couple in our church uh, who visited Malta, and they shared this picture with me. So in the city of Medina, at the top of the main gate, the inside top of the main gate, um, there's a sculpture of Malta's three patron saints. And so in the middle, you have the Apostle Paul, who in verse 3 will be bitten by a snake, which is going to dangle from his hand. To Paul's right, your left, you have the Roman governor of the island, Publius, who in verse 7 is going to invite Paul and others to stay with him for a few days. Uh, church tradition says that Publius became the first bishop of the island of Malta, saved through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. To Paul's left, your right, you have a lady from the third century AD. Her name is Saint Agatha, who is said to have fled to Malta from the authorities in Sicily before being captured, tortured, and killed as a Christian martyr. Great picture. I hope to see it. Um, in person someday. And now we're going to dig in. I hope now you're looking at chapter 28 and verse 1. It says, after, you see the personal pronoun, we. So Luke, still hanging out with the Apostle Paul. Luke, the author of the book of Acts. Luke, ladies and gentlemen, who was an eyewitness, gave an eyewitness account. This is a historical narrative. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. It's history. Verse 1, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. Verse 2, and the native people showed us unusual kindness. That's good. I'm glad they didn't attack them as they washed up on the beach, but they showed them unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. And so when some of the local islanders saw there's a shipwreck off of our island, they all ran to the beach trying to help the 276 people that are swimming or floating uh, into shore. And so those who, who got into shore that were on the boat, man, they're, they're wet, they're cold. Luke tells us now it's raining. And so the islanders, what do they do? They show hospitality. They build this big bonfire on the beach in order to warm their guests. And ladies and gentlemen, that's when it happened. Look at verse three. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Always the servant, Paul. I mean, he could have sat around and said, oh, there's 275 other people. Let them go find sticks. But instead of that, he gets up and he's a servant and he pays for his servant's heart. You know what I love about Calvary PSL is we have so many servants in this church. People, servants who don't look around and say, oh, it's, it's a pretty big church and I think they got it all covered. And so I'll just be content with just coming to the weekend gathering and worshiping and hearing a nice message and going home. No, I'm grateful for the core group of our church, servants 
who look around and say, what, where can I serve? What can I do? Hey, I'm part of this family. What do family members do? Family members pitch in and do some chores around the house. At least that's the way I was raised by my mom and dad. And so I encourage you, whenever we do regather together, we're going to be so grateful. We're going to celebrate. But I want to encourage you, if you haven't served yet, to join this local church and begin to serve. Now, when you do that, what's going to happen is there's going to be an attack from the enemy because the enemy would rather for you to not serve. But when you begin to serve the Lord, you can expect there to be an attack. Paul, serving the Lord, gets attacked. What happened? He went out to find some kindling for the fire, and he grabbed a bundle of sticks. And when he threw the bundle of sticks on the fire, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, surprise snake attack, this venomous viper comes out like a fury and latches its fangs into Paul's hand. And he's like, what is going on here? Let's see what happens now in verse 4. It says, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, well, no doubt this man is a murderer. Wow. Talk about jumping to conclusions. Talking about judge, <laughs> judging people, right? And, and I wonder if Paul said, don't judge me. I don't know. But hey, this guy's a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, look at this, justice in the Greek, decay. Decay was the, God, the Greek goddess of justice or revenge. Justice has not allowed him to live. And so as the locals are staring at Paul, right, one after another, just watching him, and they see this snake dangling from his hand, they jump to the conclusion that this guy must be a murderer. So even though he escaped drowning out at the sea, hey, Decay, the Greek goddess of justice and revenge, caught up to this murderer, and she sent a viper. And this viper, well, we know that thing's poisonous. We've seen that kind before. Just watch. Soon he'll be dead. Let's find out if Paul dies. It says in verse 5, he, Paul, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. That's what you need to do when you're undergoing spiritual attack. Just immerse yourself in the promises of God's word and God's good plan for you and just shake that thing off. That's what Paul does. He shook the creature into the fire, verse six, and they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, look at this, <laughs> they changed their minds and said that he was a God. And so as the locals are staring at Paul hour after hour, waiting to see if he's going to swell up, is his hand going to swell up, is he going to hold his chest and fall over and die, what's going to happen? Hour after hour, nothing's happening at all. There is no swelling. There is no ill effects. I got to believe with all these people staring at Paul, Paul after a while is like, hey, everybody, I'm fine. Everything's cool, right? Of course, different language, so probably lost in translation. But after a long time, when they noticed that Paul was still happy and healthy, they changed their minds, they changed their opinion of him, and they say, he's a god. Talk about a fickle crowd. And by the way, most crowds are fickle. If you're a sports enthusiast like myself, you know that 
the crowd loves you when you're playing good and they boo you when you're not performing. That's the crowd. One minute they criticized Paul, you're a murderer. The next minute they idolized him, you're a God. But, but he, here's the lesson that we need to learn from Paul. Don't follow the crowd. Don't listen to the crowd. Paul didn't allow the crowd to phase him one bit, good or bad, no matter what they said. He didn't allow them to phase him because of this truth right here. Ladies and gentlemen, God is for us. He's for you. And so you got to admit, though, after all that Paul had been through, it would have been easy for him to have said, God is against me. Now, think through this with me, all right? He had been falsely accused by the Jews. He had been illegally imprisoned by the Romans for two years. He had encountered and endured a horrific storm in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. He had been shipwrecked off the coast of an island called Malta. And then, if that's not enough, he was bitten by a snake. Now, Paul could have easily, at this point in the Bible, he could have said in Acts 28, God, what's going on? Why are you against me? Right? I've been slandered. I've been shackled. I've been storm-tossed. I've been shipwrecked. And now, if that's not enough, I've been bitten by a poisonous snake. Why are you against me? No, 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 no. Others may have that attitude, but Paul never had that attitude. Why? Because he knew this truth right here, and you know this truth also. It's one thing to know a truth. It's another thing to take it to heart and to live it out. And so Paul says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good, for good. To everybody in the world? No, it doesn't say that. To those who love God, and by the way, that's the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the only God. That's the context of this book. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Somebody says, well, how do you know that Paul knew that truth on the bottom of my screen? Because he wrote it. He wrote it. About three years prior to where we are in the Bible, somewhere between AD 56 and AD 58, Paul penned the amazing letter to the church at Rome. And those words at the bottom of your screen were impressed upon his heart by the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Does it say all things work together for bad? No. It says all things work together for good. That means slander, shackles, a storm, a shipwreck, and even a snake bite were all taken by a sovereign savior and were used for the good. You say, I'm confused. How does this work? Well, verses seven through 10 will tell you how it works. Check it out. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, 
So this is the highest ranking, no doubt, governing official, the Roman governor, a man named Publius, who received us, Luke says, and entertained us hospitably for three days. Verse 8. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him. Paul, I guess, gets a, a personal invitation to visit the Roman governor's father who's sick. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. Verse 9, look at this. And when this had taken place, here it is, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came. Do you see the Holy Spirit working here? Also came, and they were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Okay, so how did all the hardship that Paul has gone through in the last few chapters, three, four chapters in the book of Acts, how has all of that hardship worked together for good? Here, here's the answer. It gave him the opportunity, ladies and gentlemen, to impact an entire island for Christ. That's how it worked together for good. In other words, if he had not been slandered by the Jews, he never would have been shackled by the Romans. And if he had not um, been shackled by the Romans, after that, you know, what did they do? After two years, they put him on a boat and he went on a sea voyage. And so if that sea voyage had not taken place, he never would have encountered a storm. And if that storm had never taken place, it never would have driven the ship that Paul was on across the Mediterranean Sea and shipwrecked off the coast of an island called Malta. And if he had not been shipwrecked on Malta, he never would have been bitten by a snake, which caused the locals to say, there's something special about this guy. And if he had not been noticed out of 276 people who washed ashore, if Paul had not been especially noticed, I don't believe he would have been given a personal invitation to go visit the Roman governor of the island's dad who was sick and heal him. And if Paul had not healed the governor's dad, then he would not have had the opportunity to heal everybody on the island by the power of God who was sick. Ladies and gentlemen, all things, all things, and that includes slander and shackles and a shipwreck and a storm, and a snake bite, all things work together for good. How? An island gets to hear about the love of Jesus Christ. So what's the lesson? The lesson is before we look at all of our hardship that we're going through and say, you know, God is against me. No, wait. Before you do that, you have to remember now, through all the difficulty, what is God actually doing? He's working out his sovereign plan in your life and in my life for our good and the good of others. And by the way, for his glory as well. And so granted, while we're enduring the different difficulties of life, right? Like the negative effects from a virus called COVID-19 
or other concerns or other crisis situations that we go through. As we're going through all these different difficulties, your difficulties are different than my difficulties, but as we're going through this hardship, it may not seem like God is anywhere around. It's kind of like, where's God, right? But that's where faith comes in. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that would go to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Faith, and so you gotta believe, I gotta believe that as we're going through the difficulties, as we're going through the hardship, that God at the same time is working out his sovereign plan for our lives. I shared this, I think, about three years ago, but it's kind of like baking a cake. If we were to taste some of the ingredients that go into making a chocolate cake, if we tasted those ingredients by themselves, it would taste so nasty, right? I mean, can you imagine trying to down a cup and a quarter of flour? You know, it's like choking, where's the water? Can you imagine tasting a teaspoon and a half of baking soda or baking powder? It's like, yuck, no way. Can you imagine cracking two raw eggs um, and, and drinking that down? And I know some of you did that after you watched Rocky in 1976 and you almost threw your guts up. Individually, all those ingredients taste nasty. But if you mix them together with sugar and with cocoa powder and with buttermilk and oil and you put that thing in the oven, see what happens? A delicious dessert. Is anybody hungry right now? Now, some of you are tempted to leave the sermon and go get yourself a piece of chocolate cake. Just hold on to the very end, all right? We're almost there. But here's what you need to know. Here's the application. God is for us. He's for us. And because he's for us, what does he do? He takes all the bad things in life. Right, and then what? And then, and then um, those bad things, all those nasty things that happen to us, right? It seems so wrong, and I can't believe. Where's God? And what does He do? Then He mixes it together with all the good things in life, and then He places us, you and I, in the oven, right? The fiery trials that that try and test our faith, right? And the result of all that hardship, in the end, is something so good. You say, well, what's so good? Well, like Paul, day by day, we're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And not only that, through our lives and through our lips, people are being drawn like Maltese people coming to Paul. People are being drawn to Christ through our witness. Let's look at verse 11 now. It says, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. All right, and so since the seas are treacherous during the winter months, we, we learned that last week, um, Paul and 275 other, other people, uh, they all wintered on Malta. I read this week that the uh, Phoenicians called Malta. The name in, in that language is refuge. And so they get a three-month break here. And, and so for three months, so mid-November to December to January to mid-February or so, um, they're on Malta. 
they're wintering. When it's safe to sail, they board another Alexandrian ship and they begin to make their way towards Italy. Now, this Alexandrian ship had a special insignia displayed for everybody to see. It's a figurehead of the so-called twin gods. And say, okay, so according to Greek mythology, the twin gods were Zeus's sons, Castor and Pollux, and these brothers were considered the patron gods of the sailors. They supposedly protected um, all the sailors' ships as they sailed through the sea. Now, can you imagine the Apostle Paul walking on board to yet another Alexandrian ship and seeing this figurehead? I gotta believe, because I've gotten to know Paul pretty well now, studying the New Testament. I gotta believe he sees this figurehead of Castor and Pollux, and he's gotta be shaking his head. You know why? Because Paul knew the true God. He knew the only God who can save. He knew the God who proved he can save Three months ago, when 276 people washed ashore, all of them alive and well, because during the storm in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, an angel of the Lord told Paul, not one person on this boat is going to die. And sure enough, God, because he always does keep his promises, sure enough, all 276 of them lived. Paul knew the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who can save. What about Zeus and his sons? Just a figment of the Greeks and the Romans' imagination. In fact, all the gods in the Greek and Roman pantheon, all of them made up. The God of this book, he's real. And I hope you'll get to know him. And the only way you can get to know him is having your sins forgiven by his one and only son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 12 now. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Puteoli. Those of you who are Italian or probably laughing at my pronunciation of that word. I'm doing the best I can. Verse 14, and there we found brothers, so Christian brothers, and were invited to stay with them for seven days. All right, let's take a look at our map. Once again, from Malta, they sailed up to Syracuse on the eastern shore of Sicily. And then they sailed up to Regium, which is Italy's toe, and then all the way up to Puteoli, where they met some Christians who lodged them for a week. Now look at the end of verse 14 here in your Bibles. I love this. And so we came to, and you shout out the name of the city in your living room, Rome. We came to Rome. Why? Because God always keeps his promises. Verse 15, and the brothers were, I'm sorry, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And so from Puteoli, they began a, their final leg, right? All the way up Italy, well over, way over 100 miles 
from Puteoli to Rome, and they most likely walked it. Now, here's what's kind of cool. Word began to spread. They didn't have technology. They didn't have texting or emails, right, or any of that. But word of mouth, it begins to spread around Rome and all around the uh, different villages around Rome. The Apostle Paul, he's coming to our city. Now, at this early point in church history, some of you may be wondering, how can there be Christians already or that many Christians already in the city of Rome? Well, believe it or not, it's been, I think, about 30 years now since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So about 30 years prior to this, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, you remember the story. I think we studied it like 15 years ago here. But um, Jews from all over the diaspora, from all over the Roman Empire, came to the day of Pentecost to celebrate that Jewish feast day. And what happens? The Holy Spirit comes, he indwells the, uh, the, the, the people of, of Jesus Christ, and Peter stands up filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to share and preach the gospel. And what happened? A lot of those Jews got saved. They turned to Jesus as their Messiah. They got baptized after they got saved. And then some of them from Rome went back to Rome, and apparently they planted a church. Fast forward 25 or so years, you get to AD 56 to 58, the Apostle Paul writes the famous letter to the Romans, and when this growing Christian community in Rome reads the letter, have you ever read Romans? It's amazing. And they read Romans, and they're so blessed. And so now, AD 60 or so, the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote us this letter, who's so blessed our hearts, he's coming to our city. And they're so excited. All right, so let's take one last look at our map and find out what happens here. And so they leave Rome. And some traveled, some of these Christians traveled 30 miles from Rome down to the three taverns to meet Paul as he's walking up from Puteoli all the way up to Rome. So some walked 30 miles. Other Christians pressed on 43 miles from Rome all the way down to the Appius Forum in order to meet Paul. Now put yourself in Paul's sandals. Think about all that he's been through. He needs some encouragement, right? And he's, he's walking on the famous Appian Way, that, that beautiful, big, wide Roman road that you, I'm sure you've heard about in history. And he's, he's walking up with, with Luke and Aristarchus and, and others. And, and, and what do they see as they're approaching the Appius Forum? A bunch of Christians that are so excited to see the Apostle Paul Right, and, and, and all of a sudden he, he goes a little farther and he goes to three taverns and there's more Christians and they're all smiling. They're so excited uh, to see him. And the Bible says that, that Paul took courage and that he thanked God. I can see him elbowing Luke. Luke, look at what God, we have never even been to this city, but look at what God has done in Rome in the last 30 years. Isn't this great? And again, picture it in your mind. Paul, Luke, Aristarchus, Julius the Centurion, and all these Christians from the area of Rome all walking together north to the capital of the Roman Empire, Rome. Because God keeps his promises. What did Jesus tell Paul back in Jerusalem? 
right in the middle of all the mess, hardship and difficulty, he made a promise. He said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in what city? Rome. Paul made it to Rome. Why? Because Jesus Christ always keeps his promises. And ladies and gentlemen, here is his promises to us straight from Paul's letter to the Romans. Check out Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 31. This is part of my favorite portion of the entire Bible right here. You read it in your heart, I'll read it out loud. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. And here it is. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Listen, in the midst of all of life's difficulties, never forget the unbreakable chain that binds you, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the unbreakable chain that binds you to God Almighty. What are the links in the chain? The first link is foreknowledge. God knew you. Right now, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're trusting him alone as your savior and as your Lord. God foreknew you. He knew you before he created the world. In the words of Dr. Norman Geisler, he determinately knew, he knowingly determined from eternity, God who lives outside of time, who's not bound by time, he knew you. And he predestined you, the second link in the chain, predestination. It is your destiny, believer, to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. The next link is the call. And so whenever that was in your life that you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit drew you to his love. He drew you into um, this relationship that you enjoy and I enjoy with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the next link is justification. Justification. And so justification is when you believed. And yes, there is a choice involved in this. You can't dispute all the verses in the Bible that talk about how we need to make this choice. And so when you were justified, it was when you believed on Christ. And when that happened, God declared that you're righteous. Thank you, Martin Luther. Thank you, Philip Melanchthon, for clearing this up in church history for us. Justification is when God, as you exercise faith in Jesus Christ, God declared that you're righteous. And he clothes you with the righteousness of you and me, our self-righteousness. No, we can never be good enough for heaven. He clothes us 
as a gift in Christ's righteousness. And then the final link of that chain, unbreakable chain that forever links you to God is glorification. And one day, ladies and gentlemen, if you know Christ, you will rise from the dead and you will have an immortal, eternal, indestructible, glorious body fit for a new heavens and a new earth. Never forget this. In the midst of all your hardship and trials, God, God is for you. Look at what he's done. Read Romans 8. It's so, so rich. Promises from God to you and me. And maybe you're here today. You're sitting in your living room. You're watching. And you're not sure if you have this relationship with God. You think, well, pastor, I'm trying. And as you've heard me say before, if you've ever been here, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> there is nothing we can do to earn our way to heaven. We have to come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and realize that we're sinners and the penalty of sin is death. And that death is eternal separation from God. There is no annihilation in the Bible. When you die, you don't die and cease to exist. Your soul is immortal. Your soul, your soul will live in one of two places forever, either heaven or hell. There is no purgatory. It's not in the Bible. Heaven or hell. After your last breath, heaven or hell. But God, so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so if you want that everlasting life, you gotta turn to Christ, Christ alone. See him on that cross, see him paying for your sin and mine. The Bible says that your sins and my sins were placed in his body on the cross. And Jesus Christ, he suffered. He absorbed the wrath of God that we should have justly received in hell forever. He received it in our place as our substitute. And he died for us. Three days later, he rose again, victorious over sin and death, over Satan and over the grave. And now he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, the eternal God, Father, Son, Spirit. Jesus, the Son, sits at the right hand of the Father and he's praying for you. He wants you. He loves you. And he offers his free gift of salvation to you. If you'd like to receive the Lord Jesus Christ right now, I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and you pray this in your heart to him. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. I turn away from my sins the best way I know how. Thank you for paying the price of death on the cross in my place. 
and thank you for rising again the third day. I believe, Jesus, that you're the Son of God. And I ask you to save me, forgive me, and be my Lord, the boss of my life. Please empower me from this day forward to live for you. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just made that decision to receive Christ as your Savior and Lord, go to our website, calvarypsl.com, and then click on, scroll down, click on the box that says Knowing Christ. Read the section and then fill out the little form at the end. We would love to send you a free uh, New Testament to help you grow in your faith. Continue to plug in um, to these online gatherings and the different videos we have during the week. And then when we, when we all regather, I'd love to personally meet you. Come and tell me, Pastor Mike, I pray to receive Christ on whatever date. I'd love to hear that good news um, or share it online. That, that would be great as well. Congratulations, by the way. And so next week, final, can you believe this? Unless the rapture happens, final message in the book of Acts. And um, then after that, um, I'm looking forward to the, the summer series in the book of James. So we love you guys. We miss you guys. We'll, we'll keep you updated on everything that's going on. And God bless.